Hear now the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello again. Um, If we haven't met, my name is John Sherrill. I'm a pastor here at Fifth Reformed Church, and it's great to be worshiping with you today. I'm excited about today. It's our first kind of continuous video service, and we owe many thanks to our friend Mark Vogel, a member of this church who has uh, done a whole bunch of work to help bring this together. Others have helped too, uh, but Mark has done a, a lot in particular. So brother, we're grateful, grateful for you. Thank you for bringing this together. Uh, we're in a sermon series that's taking us through the book of Romans. It's a series called Unashamed of the Gospel. We began over a year ago, last fall, and did the first four chapters of the book. And this fall, we're Uh, taking on the next four chapters, uh, chapters 5 through 8. And as you just heard Megan read, today we're looking at uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Uh, So before I dive in, let's pray together, shall we? God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your spirit that helps us understand. We know, Holy Spirit, that you guide us into all truth. You remind us of the things that Jesus said Uh, You're the one who drew us to faith in the first place. You enabled us, empowered us to respond to the offer of Christ. Uh, So God, we give you all thanks and pray now that you would pour out your spirit on us again. Help us hear you again. Help us know you. Help us grow in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we've uh, kind of been observing in Romans, Paul's uh, writing of this letter includes some pretty tight argument and he uses words like therefore, and, and there's kind of a progressive logic to the thing. So to pick up midway is a little awkward. You always have to kind of figure out where you're at in that, in that progression of thought to understand what he's saying next. So just by way of getting into it, just a quick recap to kind of set the stage. Um, chapter 4 in Romans is this chapter about Abraham and Abraham's faith. 
and it, uh, it says that, uh, you know, never in the history of the world has anyone ever come to God by what they've done. You know, if we've come back into a right relationship with God, it has, it has been because God has credited their faith in him to them as righteousness or as the state of being in right relationship with God. So chapter four is all about that, that God credits righteousness to us uh, by his grace and, and, and through our faith. And chapter five kind of highlights the implications of this. You know, we, when we have that righteousness credited to us, to our kind of spiritual account, so to speak, we become new people and there's new ground upon which we stand. The whole world is new. That's uh, chapter five, the first half and second half. The, uh, the significance of what Jesus did for us on the cross divided time into two halves, the old and the new. And in the old world, uh, with its representative head of Adam, that life was, was characterized by, by sin and death. But in the new world, with Jesus as the head, it's characterized by grace and life. So uh, righteousness credited to us by God's grace through faith in Jesus that makes us new people. We stand on new ground. In fact, we live in a whole new world, a world of opportunity for every human being to come home to God. So those are those chapters, God's free grace, uh, what he's done for us on, on our behalf. Now, some people back in Paul's day jumped to the wrong conclusion about God's grace being free. Their thinking went like this. Because God forgives and restores us to a right relationship with him by grace and through faith, and because this is a gift and not by our works, because righteousness is credited to us by that grace, not by obeying the law, we don't have to obey the law at all because that's not the way to salvation. That, that was their thinking. Now, the people who argued this uh, uh, were called antinomians. It's kind of the technical term. The Greek word for law is namas. So an antinomian was a person who um, opposed the idea that there was a moral law that was important uh, for human beings uh, to obey. And uh, pro probably even more than that, the extreme argument by those folks would, would kind of go like this. Look, where sin increases, God's grace increases all the more. Therefore, uh, if there's more sin, there are more opportunities for God to express grace. And if there are more opportunities for God to express grace, God gets more glory in the end. So we could argue that we should just go on sinning so that God gets even more and more glory. That was, that was kind of the extreme argument. And that is the idea that Paul is confronting in the text today. Uh, that, that's what verse 1 is all about. Paul writes this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? so that grace may increase? You know, that's the problem that Paul's addressing. And, and he's asking rhetorically, are the antinomians right? I mean, is their answer what we should say about the fact that God's grace is free and that he forgives us and credits righteousness to us based on nothing that we do? I mean, is the answer to kind of uncork uh, this whole thing and do whatever we want, keep on sinning, maybe even encourage sinning so that grace might increase and ultimately God's glory might increase? And of course, Paul's, uh, Paul answers his own question in the next verse, by no means. You know, don't do that. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then he, he goes on to make the case for his answer. And, and there is a lot here, too much to touch on in one sermon. 
But included here is some stuff that is massively important for every Christian to know and to do. Very important for our spiritual life and how we follow Jesus. So look at verses 2 through 4. Paul starts making the case. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Or don't you know? He's getting at the thing that's massively important for Christians to know, that we need to know, that we should know. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Now, Paul uses that phrase, baptized into Christ, but he's not just referring to the act of baptism here, but to the whole of coming to faith in Jesus, understanding the message, trusting Christ with with your life, coming to the place where you can confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and are baptized as an outward sign of that. He's referring to that whole process. And when we come to faith in Christ and are united with Christ, baptism is the outward symbol of that union with Christ. It's that symbol of being united to Christ. So much so that Paul can write uh, that we were baptized into Jesus' death and that we were buried with Jesus. This is an amazing thing, right? Through uh, our union with Christ, we were baptized into Uh, Jesus' death and burial. And Paul goes on with this kind of union theme in verses 5 through 7. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, this is the massively important thing for Christians to know, uh, that when a person comes home to God by God's grace through faith in Jesus, we are united with Christ. We, We actually enter into a united relationship with Jesus. That's Paul's kind of main point in countering this this argument that we should go on sinning so that grace might increase. He's saying, look, as Christians... Uh, The death and resurrection of Jesus are not just uh, historical realities or really important points of the faith that we believe. For those who are united with Christ, they are experiences that we share with Jesus because we are in Christ. We are in Jesus. The imagery of, of baptism by immersion really captures this. And again, we do not believe that the act of baptism saves anybody. Its imagery depicts what it means for a person to enter new life through faith in Jesus. That's what baptism is about. I mean, you you enter the water in your old life, uh, captive to Adam, sin, and death. And then you're pushed under the water, where you're not only cleansed, but where the old you, the old life, actually dies, goes away forever. And you rise up out of the water, not only clean and and new, but new in the sense that this is a new life. The old life is gone and the new life is here. 
because you've been made right with God, again, not through baptism, but by, by grace through faith, been made right with God because uh, Jesus' perfect obedience of the law has been applied to you. And, and you are now possessing a whole life of grace and, and faith with Jesus at the wheel, at, at the head. So we're united with Jesus. We're so united with him that we are dead to sin just as Jesus is dead to sin. And we are alive to God just as Jesus is alive to God. And all this is so that, Paul says, we too may live a new life. That's Romans chapter 4. Now let's uh, just talk a little bit more about what this really means because if you're at all like me, uh, you might not feel dead to sin and alive to God. Um, you might not feel especially uh, dead to sin. Right, right at this point, there's, there's uh, real danger and real opportunity spiritually and we need to understand what Paul is saying here correctly because if we misinterpret this, we really veer off the, the path of the Christian gospel. In, in, in verse 2, Paul wrote this again. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And if, if you're at all like me, you nod your head and wholeheartedly agreeing with that idea while simultaneously wondering what it means for you. Um, and I, I remember vividly grappling with this as a younger Christian. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I died to sin. And, and if I died to sin, I shouldn't live in sin any longer. But I struggle with sin every day. It sure seems like I'm living in it every day. I, I, I fall and I get up and I fall and I get up. And I'm, what, what's this about? What does that mean? Does that mean there's something wrong with me? Does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean something? I mean, what, what does that mean? For me, there was this tension it felt like between what I was reading in the Bible and what I was experiencing in my life. Uh, well, good news for all of us who experience that tension. Um, the good news is that you're not the only one. <laughs> there, there's nothing wrong with you on this front that isn't wrong with all the rest of us too. We're all in the same boat on this. There's, there's no need to feel torn between your experience of life and what you're reading in the Bible on this point. To understand uh, what Paul means here, we need to rewind. If you're a fifth regular, you've heard me say this often. Uh, we need to rewind to the idea of the tenses of salvation, the verb tenses of salvation in the Bible. If this is newer to you, the, the scripture can say, uh, you have been saved. It can say, you are being saved. And it can say, you will be or shall be saved, past, present, and future. In the past tense of salvation, we're rescued from the penalty of sin. In the present tense of salvation, we are being rescued from the power of sin. And in the future tense of salvation, we shall be rescued from the very presence of sin. In Christ, we have died to sin in the past tense of salvation. We have been justified. That's how chapter 5 begins. Therefore, since we have been justified... Meaning, we've been declared to be in right relationship with God. And thus, we have died to the penalty of sin. The penalty is gone. So much so that Paul can say, we are those who have died to sin. Now, we are not yet dead to the influence of sin 
to the love of sin, to the temptation toward sin. I mean, we'll grapple with this uh, in life. We'll grapple with the, the power of sin, uh, believing that God is at work in us even right now, saving us from the power of sin. And we're, and we're called to cooperate with God in that process, to be a co-worker in that process. And that's why the Bible can uh, say this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, we're talking about different aspects of the same salvation when we talk about the, the past tense and present tense and, and future tense. And, and in the now, in the present tense, we stay engaged in the battle. We don't give in to sin. We don't conclude that what we do doesn't matter because we're saved and we already, we already have the past tense of salvation. The whole point of what Jesus did for us was to save us from sin in its entirety and from all of its consequences, right? Ultimately, past, present, and future. So it would be a crying shame to come to Christ, to, to receive salvation in the past tense, and then to give up on the great project that Jesus died to initiate in you, in me. We are dead to sin just as Jesus is dead to sin. And we are being saved right now in, in and through what God is doing uh, uh, with us. So if we're dead to sin just like Jesus is dead to sin, what, what does that actually mean? I mean, how is, how is Jesus dead to sin? He never sinned in the first place. So what does it mean that he's dead to sin? Uh, thanks to John Stott for some of these ideas. Jesus met sin's claim. He paid its penalty. He accepted its reward. And he did it once for all. It's done. So sin has no demand or claim upon him. What is true of Christ is equally true of Christians who are united to Christ. We too have died to sin in the sense that through our union with Christ... Our sin is atoned for so that sin has no claim or demand on us. That's what it means. We've died to sin. So in the pursuit of holiness, as you struggle with sin in this life, make sure you've got that struggle in the right frame. Make sure you're looking at it in the right way. If, if you are united with Christ, you are dead to sin, meaning... No sin in this life to which you might succumb has the authority to challenge your relationship with God. Period. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Right? Sin has grave consequences. Willful sin, knowingly continuing in sin, separates you from the presence of God. And it's like you know, giving the hand to the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do that because that's a path of less life. Right? There's more life following Jesus. And, and we should strive with everything in us to battle sin and to live a holy life, always remembering the working out your uh, salvation with fear and trembling part, that this is our struggle in the present. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that what Jesus did doesn't apply to us. You know, when we battle sin in the present, we're not trying to prove to God that we're worthy of salvation. We're simply seeking to occupy fully the spiritual territory Jesus has already given us. That's the struggle.
In Christ, we are dead to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You know, John Stott had another great piece uh, in his commentary. It's an analogy uh, to illustrate this idea of, of being saved in, in the past tense of salvation, but then thinking of ourselves as still captive to sin, stuck in it. I mean, still, still slaves to sin. Here's what he wrote. Can a married woman live as though she were still single? Well, yes, I suppose she could. It is not impossible. But let her remember who she is. Let her feel her wedding ring, the symbol of her new life of union with her husband, and she will want to live accordingly. Can born-again Christians live as though they were still in their sins? Well, yes, I suppose they could, at least for a while. It is not impossible. But let them remember who they are. Let them recall their baptism, the symbol of their new life union with Christ, and they will want to live accordingly. So the major secret of holy living is in the mind. What a, what a great last line. So the major secret of holy living is in the mind. Do you remember we've talked a lot about how repentance, uh, initially at least, means changing your mind, changing your thinking about things. Uh, and, and John Stott didn't just make that idea up. He lifted it right out of the text. It's in our final verse of the day, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. There is here an implicit acknowledgement that there is a gap between who God has declared us to be in Christ and how we think about ourselves as Christians. If, if you're in Christ, and I, I don't want to skip over that because that's a big if. That's the starting point in the Christian life. And, and again, what it means is if you are able to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe, really, you don't just say you believe, but you believe that God raised him from the dead, uh, you're in Christ. The Bible says if, if we do those things, if we're, if we're at that place, we are saved. So if those things are true of you, you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, God, who is the judge of the universe, has issued a legal declaration on your behalf. That declaration does not free you from obeying the law. Rather, it states that you are in perfect relationship with God because Jesus' perfect obedience of the law has been applied to you. Righteousness has been credited to you by God's grace and through faith in Christ. That's the truth about who you are if you are in Christ. Right? And this verse tells us to, to count yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Remember back to chapter 4 for a moment. It's that chapter about Abraham and, and his faith. Now look at Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 3. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The Greek word translated as count in the, in the passage we're looking at today, verse 11, is the exact same word translated as credited to him in, in this verse, Romans 4.3. That means that the command to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ uh, means literally 
to give ourselves credit. To give ourselves the same credit that God has given to us. Now, of course, we're, we're not the source of the credit in this case. God is. Paul is not here reversing everything he's been saying in the last three chapters. What he's saying is this. Believe with everything in you that the credit of righteousness has been applied to you. Actually believe it. Internalize it. It's not a kind of, it's not a, oh, I hope it works out in the end. It's certain and it's done because it's based on what Jesus did for us. And by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, what Jesus did for us has been applied to us. Therefore, in your mind, in your thinking, give yourself the same credit that God has already given you. You know, think of yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. If you're in Christ, go live in the joy and freedom of this reality that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And and as you confront sin in your life, don't question for a second if you've really been credited righteousness. If you're in a right relationship with God, if you're in Christ right now, you have been credited righteousness. Any thoughts to the contrary are just the enemy getting in your grill trying to divert you and mess with you. So don't believe it. I mean, add this tape to your inner dialogue. Count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Give yourself the same credit that God has already given you. Yes, combat sin in your life. But combat that sin as the redeemed person you are. You know, in Jesus, we don't just get a new life. We get to live that new life. That's kind of the point. Paul said it back in verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, for the purpose that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We don't just get a new life. We get to live that new life in Jesus. And friends, it's a better way to live than walking without Jesus. So, count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus because that is who you are in Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given us the Spirit um, as a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. Thank you that your Holy Spirit uh, confirms in us things that are true, guides us into all truth. And Father, this day, I, I pray that you would confirm in all of us that this great truth that if we are in you, we are dead to sin and alive to you in, in Jesus. Uh, not only confirm that, please, God, but in our minds, in our spirits, in our hearts, uh, bring an outpouring of what that means for us, of how that applies this week, Uh, to to relationships with which we might be struggling or to situations that might be challenging, uh, to joys we might experience or to people we love. God, help us apply these great truths in our life now. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your goodness. We pray in your name. Amen.